This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Uh, I think Judd's going to rant about hockey again here. Shocker. Rev it up. I got a lot of gripes, Kevin. I might want to sit there and listen to We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? The Devils back to center ice. Here comes Henry across the line from the far circle. In front, they score! Travis Zajac, or technically John Moore, John Moore with the goal. It uh, takes a kick in the butt to get us going sometimes, and 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 we talk about self preparation all the time. But uh, uh, it was it was one of those things today. I mean, uh, they get two in offs at the beginning, and I think um, we've had that a lot in this in this the first 20 games here is uh, we we go in spurts but we don't go in 60 minutes and until we learn to go in 60 minutes we're not going to get too far see here's the difference between you and i all right yeah or you and me i guess would be the correct way to say that yep i see a, a furious comeback and a point salvaged i see glass half full you see the loser point last yep. night Yep. I see, well, moral victory point is what it what it really I is. I would call it the loser point. And uh, you come with a full notebook of things to complain about. So, the, all right, the floor is yours. All right. I'm glass half full. Go ahead, glass half empty. All right, I got three gripes here, and I'm actually going to start with gripe one, which doesn't have to do with the fact that, once again, Boudreaux's team disappeared for an extended period of time before these, as you called it accurately, the furious rally uh, that tied the score that uh, forced the game to OT. It's, they're giving the, the home fans gripe. their money's worth lately. Here's my gripe. My first gripe is this, and Yozy did the same thing, and I thought it would change with Boots, and it hasn't changed, and I don't get it. The three-on-three overtime is great fun, but it is a race, literally a race, to see who can score first with your fastest players. The Devils have a guy who started the who started the OT last night. His name is Taylor Hall. He wears number nine. He is as quick as can be. He got the puck and basically played keep away. And meanwhile, you deploy Miko, Ryan Suter, and Granlund. And Granlund's the only one that makes any sense. Before you could get Miko and Ryan Suter off the ice, the Devils had scored that goal. Because Koivu and Suter, while they are productive National Hockey League five-on-five players, don't have any business starting the overtime. The starters in overtime. Because this is not, okay, what can we do to best uh, spread out the time over the entire period? This is how can we get the fastest guys on the ice to try and score as quickly as possible. We want to end this as quickly as possible. Last night it ended 52 seconds in. Okay, Phil? So... Granlin starts. That's a good idea. He has played center before. He could take the face off. 
Jason Zucker, who finally got on the ice last night right before the goal was scored, also should start. And you could put Spurgeon, who's small and fast, out there as well. Hmm. But this, but going back to Yozy, this drives me crazy. They put Suter and Koivu out there as if they need to do it out of veteran respect, and they do it as if you're going to play the entire period. The goal should never be to play as much of the five-minute overtime as possible. The goal should be to put your quickest guys out there against their quick, against their quickest guys and try and score as fast as possible. I don't understand why Miko Koivu weird, and yeah. Ryan Suter were out there. This is so simple. I uh, I agree with you on this. I I wasn't sure because we didn't really talk about where you were going to go in this opening segment. I just knew that you were going to rip Bruce Boudreaux. But I agree with you on this. If you have a wide open sheet of ice and only three guys on the ice for each team, the most important factor is speed, right? Yeah. Because it's so wide open. Like if if you were going to play a one on one full court game of basketball, yes. You'd probably pick the guy who can who can ball handle and just get up and down the court and get layups, right? Just get get out, sprint your you, opponent to the rim you to get a layup. You wouldn't pick Dwight Howard. Who, by the way, went for 25 and Me- 20 last night. We're going to get there as well. Yes, but what I'm saying is you would Miko Koivu makes no sense. Suter doesn't make sense. Spurgeon's little and fast. I'm giving you Jason Zucker's incredibly fast. He should start every overtime period that you play. Because he's going to generate maybe even like just w- wide open here's breakaways off turnovers, right? Yes, and here's the goal. Win the faceoff, get the, pu- the, get the puck, go down, and play keep away. Your goal should be to never give up the puck in the OT period. Now, that now it's going to happen, probably. But my point is, win the faceoff, get into the opposing zone, and generate as many chances yeah. as you possibly can and try and end the game within a... Within 30 seconds, a minute, you I try to like, end the game. I, this is not scientific. I don't have any uh, data on this. But I feel like whenever I watch overtime in the NHL, the three-on-three overtime in the NHL, more often than not, the game-winning goal is you know one team misses a shot, the other team comes back, that's, odd man rush. That's exactly and right. And someone just outskates to the front of the net. Mm-hmm. It's not like crowded front of net like nope. you would see in five-on-five. In where you're going to want those big possession guys and you're going to want to you maybe slow things down and just get possession and, and cycle the puck around. You want guys who can break away from the opposing team's three players. So I, I'm with you on this. Absolutely. I thought you were going to fire Boudreaux off the top of the show no, here, but that no, was, no. But that was Yozy, way different than I thought. You Did you think Jeb was going to go uh, tactical the there in overtime, Dave? It drives me nuts. It was very measured. I thought you were going to be a little nuts, but go further. Who should be on the ice then? I said it. Zucker, Granlund, Spurgeon. And then start and you end it as quick as you. But then you have to have a a second line, right? In case those guys get tired. Yes, yes. Obviously. Definitely. But who's who's behind them? I don't know the speed of the team as well as you do. I I see a team that doesn't have a lot of speed, frankly. Let me pull it. Well, I gave you three guys there who are very quick. Yes. And who would have a chance to score quickly. Uh, My second choices would would be Nino for sure. Uh, Suter might. Suter, Suter? Suter might be a second. Coyle? Suter might be a second choice. He's not terrible, but he shouldn't start it. And but I, there is there's there's a hockey and stall, and stall can skate. There's a hockey factor there, and this this applies to other sports too. But where you don't want to disrespect the room, right? You don't want to. No, that's you, exactly. But it. Yes. By, by putting a lesser, younger defenseman well, into you know the the starting portion of overtime over Suter that you'd be disrespecting him somehow. Or, or Miko. And you got to get past it's that. It's this whole yeah. thing that Miko needs to, to start. Uh, I would say Nino Stahl as forwards, possibly Nino and 
Eric Sinek, possibly, because he's got because he's young, he's fast enough. I just I'm so tired of Miko Koivu having to start. And Miko Koivu has his role, and I get that, but overtime's not one of them. He can uh, play, but he doesn't need to be out there right away. Yeah, this is, I, I, so, from a big picture standpoint, this team is not worth working a sweat up about right now. I just don't, this is not, the window is kind of closing. It's not closed. They can still make the playoffs, but I don't know, man. You might have to uh, get on the, you well, might have to get on some, uh, some heart medication if you're going to keep watching the games with. Gripe, much angst. Gripe two, though. Gripe, we got to go for basketball. We got the Vikings. Two. We got the Twins offseason. Gripe two is put together a complete game. They they did it again last night. They came out in the first period. They outshot the Devils. They looked good. Second period, they lull, they lull themselves to sleep. And I tweeted this last night. They're down by two goals, and you can see it start to click then. they They thrive on adversity. And this has been this team, and I don't know why, for a long, long time. And I thought with Boots it might change, but it has not. But they seem to only thrive when things have gone wrong. They're like, I'm not saying that I, they have to play great, but this is a consistent, consistent trend for this team to do things like this. I would say they thrive. Uh, they thrive with deadlines. They're like they're like most kids in college. Oh, my papers due in yeah, twenty hours. I need it. to start writing the fifteen pages. But, I mean, you, oh, the playoffs start in a week and a half. We might want to start winning some games. You trailed Nashville four two in the third last week. You make this furious comeback and win, and people are like, oh, this is great. Last night it's the same thing. You're down three three one, and I'm not. I'm not saying that you have to put together this great game, but at least put together some semblance of a complete game, especially at home. It's not that hard. Yeah. May I recommend the uh, Phil Mackey life solution to your uh, your sports angst? What is it? Go check. Out a Tower of Power show this week. The tickets are sold out. You can probably go get, you know, go find a scalper outside Dakota. Just inject some good soul funk music Ooh, I like the Dakota. into your uh, into your night. Okay, and get get away from wild angst. Get away from wolves angst, which I was able to do last night. But this did ding, happen. Ding. <laughs> but Howard with a rebound up and over by Kid Gilchrist. No good. Howard with a rebound and a dunk. White Howard putting on a show. The big thing is going to be, you know, the defense and the rebounding. You know, it's going to be some nights, you know, we didn't shoot the three well. Uh, So uh, we have to be able to count on our defense and rebounding to win, particularly on the road. The rebounding's critical on the road. You got to bring toughness, rebound mentality uh, in order to win. All right. All right. Uh, The Wolves got smoked last night by Charlotte. Dwight Mm -hmm. Howard. And just to make sure that I haven't warped myself back into an alternative uh, reality, it is 2017, right? Can somebody just check this? 2017. Hold on, let me pull out my mobile device for you. As I know that. uh, Yes, November 21st, 2017. Okay, uh, Dwight Howard, this must be a misprint 25 points and 20 rebounds and a handful of blocks. Dwight Howard. So they played the Magic? It's not 2007. They played the Lakers? Apparently, they uh, they played the 2005 Magic last night, and Dwight Howard went for 25 and 20. Here's my question to you, all right? I've deliberately tried to lay back in the weeds on Tom Thibodeau, and th- this has been 15 years of losing and 30 years of one of the most embarrassing franchises in American team sports history. Two playoff series wins in 30 years. Like. So when, when Tom Thibodeau took over... I didn't want to overreact early. I didn't want to, you know, if, if he couldn't get young players like Zach Levine last year to play defense, 
all right, it ain't the Chicago Bulls where you got a bunch of bunch of players buying in. You got you know veterans. Um, let's give them some time. Well, it's been a hundred games, and here's a snapshot of the Timberwolves defensively since Tom Thibodeau arrived, as it sits now and even even last year. Mm-hmm. They're 27th in the NBA this season in defensive rating. So. Points per 100 possessions. They were 27th as well last year. Mm-hmm. So one of the four worst teams defensively in the NBA since Tom Thibodeau arrived. They're dead last this season in opponent field goal percentage. They were third to last in 2016-17. Mm-hmm. They're 28th in fourth quarter defense. They're dead last in fourth quarter plus minus net rating. So they're the worst fourth quarter team in the NBA this year. And this one's a little bit in the weeds, but... One in every three shots the opponent takes comes from point-blank range this season. So of all the shots opponents take against the Wolves, Uh one out of every three comes from point-blank range, and those opponents are making like 70% of those shots. So all in all, I'm just wondering, at some point, if you're a defensive mastermind, Tom Thibodeau, and you're supposedly a great teacher and a great coach, you can't be this bad when you have... Three or four veterans. You got your Jimmy Butler. You brought in Taj Gibson. You've got supremely talented, athletic young players who aren't 19 years old anymore. Mm-hmm. And you're this bad. Dwight Howard? Dwight Howard? One of the great big men in the Is NBA. Is it 2005? One of, the, one of the fantastic big men in the NBA like for the Orlando Magic. He's yes. not, I mean, he, he's Dwight so Howard. To me. Hold on. Dwight Howard. Just one more thing. Yeah. One more thing. I'm sorry. All right. Tower of Power was great. I'm See, glad I didn't have to upset. watch the second half of the Wolves Davey's game last upset. night. But Dwight Howard is basically one of those bloated contracts now that gets included in trades. Yeah. That's what he is. He's not like this centerpiece. He is... A bloated contract that gets moved around like a chess piece mm-hmm. when you're trying to acquire actual good players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Twenty-five and twenty. So explain what are this you to doing? me. What? So what happened uh, on Sunday against Detroit, and then last night in Charlotte? What happened from in those two games compared to the Spurs game last Wednesday? The Wolves played good defense. They looked really good. What's changing, what's morphing from that game where it appears a light has gone off and they get Tibbs' system to Sunday or Monday where they completely collapse? Well, I think that Spurs game is almost an indictment now because, and it's, again, it's like, I'm trying to balance this, that we're so early, we're not even to December yet, and it just takes teams, better collections of talent have taken until December to gel. The heat from seven years ago, we've gone over the teams. Uh, So I'm trying to balance being patient and letting these guys get through December and just figure this thing out. They're going to be a different team as they evolve unless they've totally tuned out the coach. And I wouldn't be shocked if at some point Tom Thibodeau's inability to connect and teach, if that winds up being the downfall of, I mean, they're they're not going to be like a 20-win team. They've gone past that. They're going to win games. They're going to make the playoffs. The question is, how far can they go? Um, and this maybe this warrants more conversation later on, but there's pretty clearly a disconnect between what Tom Thibodeau wants and what he teaches and what's actually happening on the court on a regular basis. But yeah, for them to clearly. do what they did against the Spurs, and I get the Spurs were without one of the best players in the world. They were without Tony Parker. So it was a depleted Spurs team that still can score points. Uh-huh. For them to turn it on like that and play the way they did against the Spurs and then look at all the other games around that where they're giving up 118 points to Charlotte, mm-hmm. for God's sakes, to mm-hmm. Cody Zeller. Yeah. Um, 
I just, uh, something feels off about Tom Thibodeau and this collection. All right. And we'll see if they can straighten it out. I'm going to talk you down for once. I say what we do is I say we give it 25 games. 25 games. What's it been now? Like, well, 17. Yeah. So let's give it, so let's give it through 25 games and let's see what, what the Butler impact is then. As far as, because... They got him. They got him because Tibbs loves him, and they got him because Tibbs, I think, was convinced that Butler could preach the the message, especially on defense, to what he wants. So let's give it 25 games. So we get another two weeks. Yes, let's give it another two weeks. Let's, uh, let's giving lay giving them t- into December. And it's not even like we're not asking for 2011 no, Bulls defense. But I'm just saying. We're just asking for something other than the worst fourth quarter team in the NBA. And the inconsistencies it's, drive you crazy. So let's give it two more weeks. Let's give it 25 games. And let's regroup after that. And if it's still off the tracks and this up and down and this bad in, in segments of games, you've got something. God, Dwight Howard. I know. Dwight Howard, one of the... <laughs> and here's the worst part: been three teams tried, in three years. They Dude tried goes for to, 25 and 20 last. They night. tried to hack him last night. They tried to hack him because they thought, well, he, he can't shoot free throws. And guess what? He shot free throws. Yeah, he actually he made uh, he made good. like nine or ten free throws last night. Yep. So it, I mean, he was he was nine of fourteen. So you know, sixty. What, most 65%. importantly, most importantly, Granlund, Zucker. <laughs> Spurgeon, play him to start overtime. Uh, okay, those were uh, long rants. So let's come back. We uh, we ran long there, but I think it was worth it to get that out of our systems. Matthew Collar on the first place Super Bowl contending Minnesota Vikings. Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back on fifteen hundred ESPN. I, I know this football team. I like this team. The way they work. You know, they got a bunch of good guys. You know, win or lose today, um, I think I think I know who, who this football team is. Um, they're going to give it their all every single time. They're going to fight and battle. And um, for the most part, we're going to play smart. We did some dumb things today, but for the most part, we're going to play smart. We're going to play tough football. And, um, you know, we take care of the ball usually and, you know, play the game the right way, I think. Mike Zimmer, football <laughs> coach. Matthew Collar writes about football. You can find his stuff on 1500ESPN.com and the Purple Podcast. I have a challenge. I want to get your thoughts on this, Matthew, to the Vikings defense the rest of the way. All right? Okay. Uh, I think a lot of folks are are putting the Vikings defense in that that top ranking of NFL teams now and maybe in the same sentence as other great defenses the last 20 years or so. Pump the brakes on that. I've done a tail of the tape. We're going to do a full segment on this later in the show. My challenge is if you want to be the 2015 Broncos defense or you want to be the 2013 Seahawks defense, both Super Bowl winning defenses with either limited young or old quarterbacks. So that was second year Russell Wilson, not quite the Russell Wilson we know now. And then that was broken down Peyton Manning. You have to create more turnovers if you want to be in that category. The Vikings are 20th in the NFL in turnovers created. So if we want to put the Vikings defense in that top spot, Without a shadow of a doubt, the best defense in the NFL. The only real component missing, the scoring defense is there. Uh, the the yards per play is there. It's taking away those possessions and then setting your team up to have short fields. That's the, the only real missing link with this Vikings defense. 
Turnovers, though, tend to be hard to predict which way they're going to go. And I, or you could be a bad defense and get a lot of turnovers, or you could be a really good defense and get no turnovers. And where I would look at it is how are they defending the pass? I mean, the, their run defense is one of the best in the NFL. They're averaging 3.3 yards per attempt against the Vikings defense. So that's really good. You want to shut down the other team's run game. And I think that was really relevant against the Rams. Every time they ran the ball, they just went a couple yards up the middle and got stuffed by Linval Joseph, and that couldn't set up the rest of their uh, offense. But in general, the predictive thing for winning the Super Bowl with a strong defense is how well you defend the pass. There was a, an article about this from, I think, Football Perspective, uh, just about adjusted yards per attempt against which is probably the, one of the best measures of how good your passing game really is because it adjusts for touchdowns and interceptions and, and sacks. And the average Super Bowl winner was sixth in the NFL. So most of the teams defended the pass extremely well, and I think this team is doing an exceptional job of that. And now I think we're really going to see them tested over the next couple of weeks. If you watch Matt Ryan, they get Atlanta's back. Uh, they sputtered a little bit with a new offensive coordinator, but last night they were doing some of the things they were doing under Kyle Shanahan. So they're going to get tested there. Cam Newton has improved, uh, I think especially since they moved on from Calvin Benjamin and now are working the ball to some better receivers. So down the stretch here, we're going to see them face some pretty good quarterbacks, starting with Matthew Stafford this week, who is one of the hottest quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Uh, and I will give you a slight concern, Xavier Rhodes' calf. Because he left the game on Sunday, came back and played, but he was he was hobbled basically the, the entire time. And you got to think, as much as teams college, stay away from him ordinarily, that there is going to be a temptation, at least early on Thursday, if he plays, to try and, and attack him to see how he moves. The Rams tried it once or twice. The only difference is the problem was... Harrison Smith's so damn quick. Mm -hmm. The time that, that the Rams tried to go deep on roads, Harrison Smith covered half the field. Yeah. And that's and that was huge. And on the on the on the Xavier Rhodes front, this is the type of week where because it's a short week, mm -hmm. guys who might be ready to play on Sunday, maybe they'd be questionable like midweek and then they'd they'd figure out a way to practice on Friday and be there on Sunday that they just wouldn't play because it's a Thursday game. So that is something to watch. And it might be one of those things where he was able to just use the adrenaline to keep battling through it. This happened with Harrison Smith last year against Dallas. Harrison Smith got hurt, kept playing all the way through. Then I saw him in the locker room after he basically couldn't walk. And then he had to miss maybe two games after that or at least the very next game after that. So sometimes these guys get hurt, keep playing through it, and then when they wake up the next day, it's all swollen up and, and they can't deal with it. I didn't see Xavier Rhodes yesterday in the locker room to get any gauge of how he was walking or how he might be doing. Uh, we'll see what happens in practice uh, when we go out there today. But this is a very unique week where it's hard to get a feel on things. Yeah. He might not practice at all today, but then be ready to go on Thursday because they just want to keep him off it entirely. But if he's not there, I mean, this is a Detroit Lions team that has a lot of weapons to throw to. I mean, Golden Tate is the obvious one, but they've got, uh, you know, a few other guys coming out of the backfield. They've got Riddick and Abdullah, and, and they find ways to work the ball all over the field. So you need to be at full strength. And Mackenzie Alexander also didn't practice yesterday too. So they've had great depth on this secondary, uh, but it's going to get tested, I think, uh, this week and down the stretch here to whether they are a great defense against the pass or whether they're just a real good defense against the pass. But luckily with this team, you don't have to be the Baltimore Ravens of 2000 
because you have an offense. Mm-hmm. You have a very good offensive attack. I mean, the, the Ravens then, they started Tony Banks that That's year right. and turned the ball over to Trent Dilfer. Mm-hmm. I mean, they couldn't move the ball at all, and that's way different from this offensive attack for the Vikings. And I thought the other day was the perfect example of how this team is going to win. They shut you down on defense, and then they're able to control the ball. They convert on third downs. They run the ball exceptionally well and then hit a deep pass every once in a while. And it's it's like it's almost like if you sort of uh, took last year's offense and gave it a running game, that's how it would look this year. And we're seeing it have much more success. You know what, too? I think it, it was such an important game. It was it was a gatekeeper game to to prove that you're on that top level in the NFC. Yeah. And if you look at and this is why I don't think the Vikings should fear the Eagles to the degree that maybe a lot of pundits would would rank the Eagles number one in the NFC. Look at the Rams before they ran smack dab into the brick wall of the Minnesota Vikings. Mm-hmm. They were blowing everybody out, 40 points per game on the road. They were a machine. They drove down on the first drive of that game, and they scored a touchdown with ease, and then nothing for the next two hours and 45 minutes. I think if the Eagles were to run smack dab into that same Vikings team at U.S. Bank Stadium, and you might not get that luxury in the playoffs if the Eagles have a better record than you, um, you know, the, the Vikings are one of those teams where it doesn't really matter what you did your last five games leading up to it. You haven't faced a defense like this and you haven't faced a cohesive offensive attack, which is amazing to say, you know, considering where things were at with the offensive line and the quarterbacks last year. With Carson Wentz, I haven't decided, <clears throat> excuse me, yet where I see him in the league because everything is small sample in football and whatever's happening right now is the truth as we believe it, right? And sometimes you pull yourself back a little bit and say, is this going to be Carson Wentz against the good teams? Is this going to be him in the playoffs? He's never been there before. Is he really accurate enough to make tight window throws all the time or against a great defense or under pressure? One of the things that they have in Philadelphia is an unbelievable offensive line. Now, Jason Peters got hurt, but they've been able to still protect him exceptionally well. Lane Johnson might be one of the best players in the entire NFL. And I felt like the Rams were coming in with a similar offensive line, but still allowed Jared Goff to get pressured enough to throw him off and throw off the rhythm of that offense. And I also saw what the Vikings do to young quarterbacks, and Wentz is only in his second year, is they use Harrison Smith to just mind, you know what, you know, what I mean? like Jared Goff was lost <laughs> he did at, 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 at the line of scrimmage. Yes. Harrison Smith would drop back and then come up. He would come up and then drop back. And then there would be times where they thought, okay, Harrison Smith's up at the line of scrimmage. So we think we can run to that side because he'll be blocked by a tight end. And then Harrison Smith plowed the tight end and yeah. they got no yards. I mean, it really, it really was an incredible performance by Harrison Smith. And I think what he does at the line of scrimmage before plays makes it extremely difficult on even good quarterbacks, much less guys that haven't been around the league very often. That scheme is really good, too. I mean, they they confuse. If if they're playing at at home with that crowd noise, they consistently confuse guys. The Mm -hmm. only, I I told you, the only quarterback I've seen who's come in here this year and looked completely stable the entire game, Stafford. Because Breeze was, that that was game one for them. Mm -hmm. But besides that, Stafford's the only guy that I saw come here and actually look like, you know what, bleep it, I don't care about the crowd. I think, and I think, it, I mean, it helps to face the defensive personnel two times per season because to, to Collar's point about Harrison Smith, and I think I think Limbaugh Joseph falls in this category where, okay, you have an idea in your head based off film of, okay, well, we got this, this guy's blocked by this tight end right here, we have this over here, but the Vikings have multiple players on defense 
that are sort of matchup explosion. Like, okay, well, we're, we're accounting for Linval Joseph here. Oh, my God, he just threw two offensive linemen to the tracks and trucked <laughs> yeah. our skill yeah. position yeah. player. It's like bar times. Like, they just they blow things up, even if you think you have the play blocked or, or covered from a film standpoint. And another reason they're so difficult to face is that they've all been in Mike Zimmer's defense for three years now or four years now. I mean, I mean, he four years. Yeah, four years. Well, so, some have come later, but yeah, but, but yeah. yeah. I mean, mo- but most of the defensive players have been here for multiple years, and they, it's not just that they don't just go out and run the play. They make decisions while they're out there. I mentioned to Judd during the game that Harrison Smith ran over to Mackenzie Alexander at one point and was yelling in his ear, and then Alexander blitzed and chased Jared Goff out of the pocket. And then later in the game, there was a, a Terrence Newman was on man coverage way off to the uh, like on the side, and then the guy went in motion. So Newman followed him, but instead of tracking him, Newman decided it looked like on his own to just blitz. And then Goff never saw it coming. The back was on the other side of him, so he didn't pick it up. And then Goff just had to throw it away. So these are guys making decisions out there, almost like an offense would. How you'd look and read the defense and then make your decisions, but the defense is doing that to the offense. Yeah, it's like it's like third, fourth, fifth level thinking. Yeah, like level yeah. one is, okay, what play do we have called and where, where do we stand? And level yeah. level two is like, okay, what are they going to run? And, and the Vikings are like on the top floor of the hotel. Let's come back and talk more about the offense. Uh, Case Keenum. And I know Matthew Collar has been fighting with people in the comment section of his Case Keenum article from yesterday. So we'll get his thoughts on uh, the Vikings going forward here. Mackie and Judd talking eight and two purple. Phil Mackie. First of all, you're wrong about bunting. Bill, you're wrong about bunting. No. Judd Zolgad. Judd freaking Zolgad. <laughs> He's a problem. Attitude. It's destroyed everything of our sports culture. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Are there times where Case does throw the pass like he did and you go, oh boy, is that going to work? And, and then it seems to well, work. I don't really say is that going to work, but similar. Well, you launched it down, you know, you yeah, set yourself for a second, that could be a kick, so. Yeah, I'm thinking a lot of things at that point. <laughs> but he's got a horseshoe right now. <laughs> Uh, it must be nice you? when you're a starting quarterback of an 8-2 and two team, you won a bunch of games in a row, and your head coach refuses to say that you're just the starter and 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 says that you have a horseshoe. It's it's an interesting dynamic here, Matthew Collar from the Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com, because the Vikings are winning with the pieces they have right now. Mm-hmm. The Vikings are winning with Case Keenum. And I think a lot of fans are wondering why, and, and like Lewis Riddick was on ESPN Radio this morning, a lot of people around the country are wondering why is Mike Zimmer even entertaining the idea of Teddy Bridgewater? And so Judd and I have spent probably way too much time mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks on this show holding the debate, taking calls on it, and just generally trying to explain why this is a gray area nuanced discussion. You wrote about it again yesterday. So what would you say to fans who are wondering why would you try and you know inject another quarterback who hasn't played in two years into an eight and two football team? Well, I was really blown away when I watched the post game shows, uh, you know, the Fox post game, the NBC leading up to the night game. And they were talking about how Mike Zimmer should name Case Keenum the starter for the rest of the year. And I mean, how quickly we forget history because I look through Case Keenum's game logs, every game he's ever played, found two different times, five game stretches. He was exactly this good. And the following five games, he wasn't anywhere close. It happens all the time. When I was covering the Buffalo Bills two different times, once with Ryan Fitzpatrick and another time with Trent Edwards, superstars, right? 
They were 5 and 1, 5 and 2. They had great stretches. The Bills even gave Ryan Fitzpatrick a long-term contract yeah. extension because they bought into a 6-game stretch. Mm-hmm. Brian Hoyer had a stretch with the Houston Texans where he was very very good. Josh McCown very briefly for the Chicago Bears was fantastic and got a contract with the Tampa Bay Bucks. It happens all the time with these guys. Mike Zimmer knows that. He's seen these guys since training camp or Case Keenum since training camp. There was a thought at the beginning of camp that Taylor Heineke might beat him out for the backup spot because really in training camp, it's it's not being a gamer or finding guys down the field or whatever. It's just how you execute, how you throw. You see guys' raw skills. And he's lacking in most of those categories compared to top NFL starters. Mm -hmm. So if you saw him in practice next to Sam Bradford, you'd be like, okay, well, I mean, let's hope this guy doesn't have to play a whole lot. Yeah. In Mankato. And we said, okay, we get it. Right. Okay. He's a backup. Let's hope he doesn't have to play a lot. So if he's got a, if he's got a horseshoe or a really good situation and he gets you through that and you win a lot of games, that's great. And as a head coach, you're thrilled and you're high-fiving Rick Spielman. We found a backup that was able to win us games. It's not Tom Savage. Yes. But if you're thinking we can win the Super Bowl, I can be a Super Bowl winning head coach with this defense that I've built so masterfully, you want the best player playing that position. And, And just think about this. If Delvin Cook, say, could come back tomorrow, like Murray's been good. McKinnon's been good. Delvin Cook plays every snap, right? I mean, I don't know why people can't get their head around. Well, the counter argument is, is is Bridgewater as good as you're remembering him as the counter argument? To which I, and this is where I'm, I'm I, I think we all agree that we, Case Keenum is hot and not a franchise guy. Like, we all agree in this room. Teddy, to, to go back to 2015 and compare what Case Keenum, we had a caller yesterday say, you guys need to be more objective about this. You have to compare... Teddy from two years ago to Case this year, which is the opposite. That like you, Teddy Bridgewater was the driver of a Plymouth Acclaim in 2015. <laughs> Case Keenum is the driver of at least a Ferrari, mm. a defense. Adam Thielen was not a factor two years ago. He's now one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Offensive line completely revamped. So how do you respond to, well, the last time we saw Teddy, he was decidedly mediocre, and now he's been off for two years of regular season football. Well, number one, I I wouldn't say at all that he was mediocre. I mean, if you look at his quarterback rating, sure, but that's not how you should judge football. I just did a piece today about Kyle Rudolph. If you're a fantasy player, you hate Kyle Rudolph right now. He has been much more valuable to this team than he was last season because football is not fantasy stats. Co- touchdown passes are n- are not how you judge a a quarterback because one year you'll see Tom Brady have 50 and another year he has 24. Was he better? Would you want him less when he had 24 than when he had 50? I mean, that's not how it works. It's driving the ball down the field. It's scoring, it's producing. And Teddy Bridgewater did a tremendous job of that in 2015 when he had a trash bin offense. And so if you think about the difference, so Teddy Bridgewater had a very poor offensive line, hardly any weapons and a offense that acquiesced to the running back, right? In 2015. Let's look at yeah, Case, it was built for him. And a great defense. Now let's look at Case Keenum's 2016 with the Rams. Great running back, Todd Gurley, who was not having the same success as before. No great weapons, terrible offensive line. One of them got benched. The other one went eleven and five. So I mean, I think I think that, that kind of tells you about the talent level of these players. The other thing, too, is do you believe in? Do you believe Mike Zimmer knows how to analyze quarterbacks? Mm-hmm. Like, do you do you think that? Because I think he knows how to analyze everyone. Mm-hmm. And when I listen to him talk, 
and he does not fully buy into Case Keenum and says he's got a horseshoe, but when he's asked about Teddy Bridgewater, he tells Deion Sanders he's going to play at some point, says he looks awesome in practice when Zimmer's the only one of us who can see him in practice. I, I factor that into my equation when I'm looking at this quarterback situation that Zimmer is seeing uh, Teddy Bridgewater in practice, and I'm not, and he's leaning toward that direction. And the only way that this would be a problem is if internally it began to divide people and players, and it's not. No, not and even so, close. So the most the most important thing is this is a from a front office coaching and fan standpoint, this entire discussion to me really intrigues me, and it's interesting. But this is not a quarterback situation that's going to divide people, and that is the most important thing. You ruin seasons by dividing locker rooms. That's how you create problems. This is not going to do that. Uh, Case has played well. Teddy is well-liked. I don't sense that between the two of them there are problems. I don't sense the players are are pining for this quarterback or that one. And so the most important thing to come back to is you, you would name Case your starter. Mike Zimmer would get up there and say, he's my starter, and darn it, we're going to stick with him mm-hmm. if you thought the players were invested in this to the point of they, they were beginning to fracture because of it. So when the national press gets up there and says, well, name, your, name Case the guy, it doesn't matter. It only matters if there is a reason to do it, and there's not right now. And why would you paint yourself, in, why would you paint yourself into that corner? If he plays two straight horrendous games, then you have to stick with him or you look ridiculous. And why would you do that? If every think about this, the locker room will follow the guy who's winning because they don't think about things the same way. They think, okay, well, he's winning, so he gets that job. I have to worry about my own assignment today. I'm not worried about that. So Everson Griffin is worried about beating Taylor Decker this week. He's not worried about what Zimmer has to decide with Case Keenum. So he's going to simplify that situation and say, he's winning. Great. Let's just stick with him. As soon as he plays two bad games in a row, or maybe even one, they'll say, all right, go back to Teddy. Because they've seen Teddy in practice, and this was Teddy Bridgewater's team. You cannot overstate the amount of belief in the locker room in Teddy Bridgewater, and that's gone up since he recovered from what he came back from because every one of those guys who's had any sort of knee injury understands how vicious that was of an injury that he went through. And to come back, they're already behind him just from seeing him do that and the way that Bridgewater has handled himself with the team. You saw him the other day standing on the sideline screaming at referees that he wanted pass interference yeah, he on a throw that Case Keenan And he made. like keeps his helmet on too. It's hilarious. Like He'll have his helmet he on just talking to a ref. Um, I think the one area, I, I told Judd this yesterday, I wouldn't criticize Mike Zimmer if he started Teddy Bridgewater against Detroit in 48 hours. I would not criticize him. No. However, no, I, I I think that would draw a lot of a lot of raised eyebrows from around the country. That shouldn't matter. You should make the best decision that can help you win a Super Bowl. If you think that's the best decision to get him ready for the next six weeks and into the playoffs, you should do it. Where I would be concerned, though, is the clock is ticking here. Not having played for two years is a big deal and that you haven't seen fast-paced regular season NFL action from that vantage point. If it takes you several weeks to get back to the ceiling that we're all sort of projecting here or to you know to to sit behind this offense line, uh, line and these weapons and do what Mike Zimmer thinks you can do if that takes 2 months to accomplish it's too late yeah. like it's already too late so that's a factor how long will it take Teddy if he started even on Thursday or in in 2 weeks from now how long would it take him to really 
reach that potential. It makes so much sense to me now. Even though I liked the idea of Thanksgiving here, but part of my equation was I assumed that Case would struggle against the Rams. And I wouldn't say that he had a good game against the Rams, but thank you, Adam Thielen, for bailing you out several times and then running 60 yards of a 65-yard pass, and then you you win the game. So you're not going to make that change after he wins that game. Uh, but And then you get that extra time if you wanted to start Teddy in the next game. That's probably now the place to do that if Keenum has a very similar game to how he played against Detroit the last time. But the thing about this situation that really helps Mike Zimmer is if you said, Teddy, you're starting on Thanksgiving Day. Here you go. And then after one quarter, Teddy looked super rusty and just didn't have it. Throw Case back in. Nobody's got a problem. Case Keenum has been there. I, this is a polar bear in the snow. I mean, this guy has been there with all sorts of quarterback situations his whole career. You can't rattle him. He's not going to have a problem with coming back off the bench. He's not going to have his feelings hurt. He's not going to be sad. He's going to come off the bench and play the same way that he would play before. So you can experiment here and not have to worry about your egos and personalities. Mackie and Judd, Matthew Collar talking Vikings. Uh, time for a couple quick calls. Mike's on hold. We'll get to your call on this. Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater, 8-2 and two Vikings, 651-646-8255. Mackie and Judd now continue. We return on 1500 ESPN. Save the day, 1500 ESPN. Seventh annual sports fantasy auction is happening Tuesday, December 12th. Listen all day from 9 a.m. until 6 p.m. to purchase and bid on great experiences with all proceeds benefiting Courage Kenny Rehabilitation Institute. It's presented in part by Able Chiropractic and TCL. Details and packages coming soon to 1500ESPN.com. Thank you, Dave. Let's run some calls quick. we got about five minutes here left with Matthew Collar, then Lou Nanny at the top of the hour. Uh, Mike, we're talking quarterbacks, 8-2 and two Vikings. What's going on, man? Hey, real quick, uh, Joe Berger was on with Musk wherever they were at Buffalo Wild Wings or whatever. And he could not say enough about Case Keenum and how he runs the huddle and the respect that all the players have for him on how much work he puts in on the video. And so I think you guys might be a little bit off when you say if, if Teddy started Thursday, that the players might just shrug their shoulders and say, Oh, that's okay. When you're eight and two and Berger says that they're all completely behind Case Keenum, I think it would shake things up a little bit more than you think. Okay. So Thank you, Mike. Comment. Once again, it's a now we're like doing the black and white either or thing. Mm-hmm. Like so it's it can be tr- true, Matthew, right? That players love and respect Case Keenum. But what have you heard about players love and respecting <laughs> Teddy? Like oh. it can be both. Yeah, what I said was if they moved to Teddy Bridgewater, that the locker room is unequivocally behind Teddy Bridgewater. But that's not people aren't saying bad things about Case Keenum behind his back. I mean, they like they, they like both. No, they they really do appreciate the mental makeup of both of these players. You cannot say enough about how. Case Keenum approaches the game as a backup style quarterback, how he's handled the media pressure. He's going on national radio shows. He's in front of us every week. He gets the same question every week. He handles it the same way. He has not let the distraction come even close to bothering him. He's got a great enthusiasm for the game when he's in the huddle and all those things. Everyone talks about that. They really appreciate how they don't have to worry about the situation with the emotions of their quarterback. Right. He, he is 
perfect yeah. from that standpoint. So I would agree with everything that Joe Berger would say. And I would also say that everything you hear about Teddy Bridgewater, the, the players couldn't be more behind his leadership, and they gush about that too. I want to hear more about what Muss has to say about the uh, quarterback situation. Hey, Matt, you're on with Mackie and Judd. Hey, how's it going, guys? Love your show. Thanks for taking the call. Thank Thanks, you. Matt. Yeah, um, Matthew Collar's really I, – I, I'm a big Case Keenum believer. I like him a lot. And he's really praising his temperament uh, quite a bit, but he doesn't quite buy into the to the whole uh, situation. Now, you guys mentioned earlier with Sam Bradford early in the year just about how he's getting older, he's getting more mature. Um, you really see him kind of blossoming. And then you look at Case Keenum and you say, couldn't he kind of be going on the same same path? Well, I think with the the Sam Bradford point, it was about circumstances. And yes, Case Keenum, under much better circumstances, is performing much better. And that was what we thought with Sam Bradford, is that, okay, for the first time, he was going to have the same offensive coordinator. He was going to have an O-line. He was going to have a franchise running back. He was going to have two great wide receivers and then some depth with the weapons. So we expected bigger from him. In the one game he played, he was outrageously good. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for Keenum when he had to overcome things early in his career or even as early as last year. He was not able to do that because he doesn't have the skill level. And, you know, people have asked about uh, where I look at last week's game with Case Keenum. Is that proof that that he's a good quarterback now? Well, not really. I mean, it, it's proof that he's doing the same thing that's helped him succeed so far. And, and we know what we have, I think, in Keenum. And we know his limitations. But if you could put a more talented quarterback into this phenomenal situation, what's the ceiling of the offense? Yeah. And how can you not find that out if you're Mike Zimmer? Yeah. I, yeah. It's uh we, we're up against the clock here, but um, I think we've, we've beaten this horse pretty good in the last couple weeks, but you guys are doing a great job too on 15 com and uh, the purple podcast of diving deep into this conversation. Just quickly. So. The important thing to keep in mind is this is a good problem. This is not a negative, who are you going to start a quarterback? This is a, you have actual options here. And how many times has this franchise had options yeah. at this position? This is a good issue. Uh, it is, yeah. I mean, this is not a bad thing. Matthew Collar, Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com. Lou Nanny next.